You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. That's right. Tommy is here on Tuesday, June 4th. Aaron is here as well. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. I walked into the studio this morning. Tommy was already here. And on our table that we share um, with him on one side of the table with a microphone in front of his chair and me on the other, right in the middle of both of us was this monstrosity (laughs) of an award. My God, that is big. Tom, as he told you late last week, was at the Copacabana in Manhattan on Saturday night. Friday night. And Friday night to receive the Nat Fleischer Award for Excellence in Boxing Journalism for the year 2018. And this is quite... A, a an award. It's like a it's a statue. Is that you? Yeah, yeah, that's me. You can tell by the definition. The definition looks just like you. Yes, absolutely, just like me. Actually, the guy Ruiz looked more like you. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. Which a, a fight that I didn't go to the following night. I, I wish I had because it would have been worth a few laughs. Well, I did read your column because yeah. on the same, on, essentially within twenty four hours of each other, two. Two um, fat guys. Two non-defined guys yes. in many ways, not just physically, um, were you know having great success yes. in New York in, City. In New York City in boxing. So how was the night? Oh, uh, well, the night was pretty cool. Uh, you know, uh, the best part uh, besides the award was uh, seeing Rain Leonard. So he was there. Yeah, he showed up and we talked for a while. We had, we had uh, he, he looks great. He looks like he could fight tomorrow. You know, uh, Tommy, how old is he? 60? Yeah, I think so. And or a little bit older than that. I mean, he might be 61 or 62. I mean, because in 1976, how old was he probably? 19? 19, Something maybe. like that. Yeah. So, but he was there. Bernard Hopkins was there. Uh, and what was, what's weird though is the guys who voted for me for this award are past Fleischer Award winners. There was only one of them there because none of them cover boxing anymore. Either they're retired. Give me those names. Well, guys like Wally Matthews. I remember uh, him. He right. worked on ESPN boxing yeah. for a while. Yeah. Uh, now he works for Yahoo covering uh, baseball in the New York Mets. He does right. some boxing. Uh, Ron Borges, who still does some boxing. New England guy, online, Boston guy, but, right? Yeah, but he covered a lot of NFL football for the, for the Boston Herald. Uh, and, uh, you know, guys like Eddie Schuyler from AP is retired. Mike Katz from the Daily News is retired. Tom Archdeacon, one of the great boxing writers, doesn't really write about boxing anymore for the Dayton Daily News. So, I mean, the, you, it, was, it was a bittersweet night because the business has changed so dramatically. Uh, none of the people who I used to cover fights with were there. You said one person was. One person. B- Bernie Fernandez used to be the Philly Daily News boxing writer now he writes for a website like everybody does who covers boxing it's very rare that newspapers cover cover fights like they used to uh so it was kind of strange in that i didn't really know anybody except for a handful of people uh but yet i was getting recognized by the boxing writers association for this award well the boxers that were there ray leonard knows you bernard hopkins knows you yeah and there was a cruiserweight 
uh, champion sitting at our table who I had never seen before. I, I didn't even recognize him. And his manager, who I never heard of, who won ma- he won Fighter of the Year. And his manager won Manager of the Year. And I didn't, never heard of either of them. And, well, did uh, you even know the Ruiz-Joshua fight is happening, was yeah, happening Saturday night? I knew that. And, I mean, I figured it was uh-huh. it would be a walkthrough right. for, for Joshua. I mean, it was just supposed to be his American debut, you know, something to keep him busy to eventually he would fight Wilder at some point. Now we know he probably never had any intention of fighting Wilder. I mean, because this guy has a glass jaw. Yeah. You know, and Wilder, look, Wilder's, the whole, uh, Andy Ruiz is a heavyweight champion for these times because a heavyweight division stinks. So he's the perfect champion for it. A, a guy who, you know, probably has no business. I don't care how skillful he is at boxing, being heavyweight champion. But, yes, he, yeah, he is now. And, uh, like, a guy like Wilder, uh, he hits hard. He knocked uh, uh, the guy he fought a week or two ago out one round. But he throws punches like he's in a road rage video. There's no science to it. I mean, you know, and so Andy Ruiz is the perfect uh, heavyweight champion for these times. But now we've got a generation of people who are excited about the heavyweight division. People are getting interested in it. And I just can't do it because I know what good, good boxing is. And good heavyweight boxing is. And who, this ain't it. Who are right now the big boxing draws? Is Canelo still a draw? Oh, yeah. Is Triple G a big draw yeah. still? Is yeah. that, who else? Uh, Spence is a big draw. Uh, a few others at the welterweight, middleweight division are still big draws. I think Triple G is fighting this weekend at, at the Garden. Uh, and Canelo got the biggest contract of any athlete single athlete in sports. Right. He got like this 10 fight, $360 million deal from the zone that, that streaming service. All right. So tell, tell me about the night. First of all, did they take good care of you? Did you have good parking? Well, we <laughs> I'm took kid- the train up. I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, what about the hotel they put you in? Nice well, they, hotel. They didn't pay for the hotel. They didn't? No, they didn't pay for the hotel. Really? No, the pay, the, the Washington they Times. They pay for the train ride up? Uh, no. They didn't pay for that either. No, they didn't pay for that either. So maybe you purchased this award. No, <laughs> no. I got in free. It, it's $150 to get into the dinner. Okay. So I got in free, and, and my wife got in free. That's good. And I had to pay for my son, Rocco, to get in. But the Washington Times paid for my train ride oh. and, my, and my hotel. We stayed at the... Marriott Marquis, right around the corner. Right in Times Square. Yeah, right around the corner from the Copacabana. So did you, um, where were you on the rundown? Where was your award? First one. First one. First one. And and I got to tell you, the other ones, they pale in comparison in, in at least looks to this thing. There's nothing. There was nothing, no hardware they gave out that approaches this this trophy. I'll take a picture of it and tweet it out here. Remind me to do that, Aaron, uh, so, right before the show. So goes. I was one of the first ones, and I had to give up and get, uh, get up and give a speech. And of course, the first thing who I who introduced did, you? Uh, another boxing writer who I have no idea who he is. And he did he have yeah. a nice introduction of yeah, you? Yeah, very nice introduction. And enlisted all knew of your who accomplishments. I was. He did. I didn't know who he was. Okay, who was the MC for the night? This guy? Uh, no, some other guy. I don't know. <laughs> What a night. Yeah. All right, so how did your speech go? 
Well, it was good. You know, I like I opened all my speeches. I opened it with, by thanking you. You know, <laughs> thank you very much. Like, like I do w- with all my speeches uh-huh. for everything you've done for my career. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and uh, it, I thought it was, you know, my wife videotaped <laughs> it. I thought I did pretty good. She did videotape. Yeah, it? you know what's interesting. Will you send it to me? Yeah, I'll send it to okay. you. Okay. I, I uh, what's interesting is I cut it short a little bit because shorter's better. Yeah, I just when I was up there. I just had a sense that they got a lot of awards to go through. And tonight. you may have been had you had sketched out something a bit too long. Yeah, I, so I just cut out. I probably cut out about thirty percent of it. Okay. So it worked out just fine. Um. So it was a nice night. You take home this big award, and it, did Ray come up to you and say, "Tommy," or did you find Ray? I mean, Ray knows you. Yeah. Well, because well, I remember when I when we were trying to get Ray for that thing. And he's like, uh, and I said, it's going to be Tom and I. And he's like, oh, my God, I would love to do it with Tom. He's the best. He's one of the best boxing writers ever. Of course, he never did it with us, but whatever. No, he never did. But he did appear on my podcast. He did. Cigars and Curveballs, which you can still find on on the internet. On iTunes? And iTunes and stuff. But uh, I I saw Ray at the the, uh, cocktail hour. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was very, he's, he's a very nice guy. I introduced him to my wife and my son. He was very nice. And, and, uh, we talked a, l- a little bit about boxing. We talked about these Facebook fitness videos he does. He does these Facebook fitness videos. I follow him on Facebook, so I see the videos. And he was very excited about that, you know, and he is in great shape. He's, he lives in LA, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think he did the commentary. For the uh, fight Saturday night. Oh, I didn't know that. But uh, I'm not sure. So, but but you know, like when when you're Ray Leonard and and you're at a boxing dinner, everybody wants a piece of you. Right. So I mean, you know, he was pretty much consumed, and he's very good at that. He, he is good at that. He likes. He's, he's he very, lights up a room. Yeah, and and he's willing to get his picture taken with everybody who wants him to you know get their picture taken with him. So it was. It look. It it, it was. I'm glad. This award means a lot to me because of the people who have won it before. Right. I mean, some of the guys I mentioned are guys who have tremendous respect for. Right. You know, like I said in the in the speech, uh, I told a story about the first fight I covered as a boxing writer, which was Larry Holmes fighting Vander Holyfield, uh, Holyfield defending his title out in Vegas, and I think it was in June of '92. And there was this legendary restaurant, old school restaurant, where the where mobsters, hustlers, boxers, boxing writers hung out, called the Flame. And uh, it was still open then. It's closed since Bert then. Burt Sugar's holding court in yeah, this well, place. Well, th- I, I walk into the Flame one night, and I don't know anybody in, among boxing writers. I mean, at I, that point, I've only been at the Times for six months, and I wasn't a sports writer before that. So. I walk into the flame, and at the end of the bar are Ed Schuyler from AP, Mike Katz from uh, the New York Daily News, and Pat Putnam from Sports Illustrated. And I said, for me, this was like a rookie in New York in the 1950s walking into a bar and seeing Willie Mays, Duke Snyder, and Mickey Mantle at the end. Yeah. I mean, it was a dream come true to see these guys. And I wound up hanging out with them and drinking with them and became really good friends with them. Right. Uh, so that's one of the stories I told. This is these all those guys have won this award. Didn't we? Didn't we grab lunch or cocktails or something with Burt Sugar at one of those fights? I'm sure we did. I I I remember. You know, 
it was well after our show was over, but we were out there hanging around. I was probably gambling. Yeah. And you said, you know, come meet me wherever. And I showed up at whatever bar that was. The MGM. Yeah, it was in the MGM. It was in the MGM. The lobby lobby bar. bar And there you were with Burt Sugar and a bunch of boxing, you know, guys. But I mean, Burt Sugar with that hat and the whole, you know, he was really a boxing, you know, legend when it came to being a writer and and a commentator. Uh, University of Maryland graduate. Yes, he was. And uh, very, very proud of being a a Terp alum. Yep. And, uh, you know, he came to some time when he would come to functions at the University of Maryland because he'd be invited down sometimes. He'd always give me a call. and We'd get together and go out. I took him to Shelley's one night. Mm -hmm. He loved Shelley's. And here's the other thing. When I was with Bert and a lot of nights I was out drinking with Bert, we never paid for a drink. Because it was like being with a rock star. Right. Everybody wanted to buy him drinks. Yeah, he was that. Well, congratulations. Thank it's you. It's a nice big award. You carried it in here. You probably need, needed help carrying that thing in here. Um, and uh, he, you already told me that you had to ship it back because it, it, it wouldn't have fit on the train. Well, I, you know, this brings up another <laughs> idea that uh, I, I've had. I've discussed this with you before, and I discussed it with Chad Dukes when I was on 106.7 A Fan last week with him. Uh, we need to start a Washington D.C. sports talk radio box. No, sports talk radio Hall of Fame, <laughs> and and give each other awards. Well, you know what? Why not? Let's prop ourselves yes. up. Yes, yes. Since no one else will. Yes, let's give each other awards, and and we'll decide who gets in. I like that idea. You like it? Well, especially if you and I are in charge. Yes. Yeah, we we could. We, you know, we'll pick the people we like and. And and dismiss those that we don't like. Yes, uh, although and, we and, like almost everybody. No, almost. we don't. You well, do. you don't. I, I, I'm you trying. Do. In sports talk radio, is there anybody I don't like? Like personally, I don't think so. Okay. I know. You, well, I know you. Okay. <laughs> you better veer off this path. Let's veer off this path. Uh, the the truth is, I don't really know anybody at your station. Right. I really I, don't. I, I mean, I like I like I like my guys. Yeah, I know you do. Um. All right, a uh, couple things. First of all, you're not paying attention and you haven't been watching Jeopardy. No. Because you've already made fun of the conversation that Aaron and I had about it. It, it, it was so much Game of Thrones like. I it, can't it's believe it. It's not Game it. of Thrones. It's nothing like Game the of Thrones. The conversation it's, it's, was. It's Jeopardy. No. The, the conversation. The conversation didn't have. Was did Game not of resemble Thrones Game of like. Thrones in any way, shape, or form. And, and all it did was make me so happy that another tsunami of nonsense has gone through the social media world that I have no clue about anything. I know. Well, when you aren't in on it or you don't understand it, it is just, you know, it's you minimize it to a point in which it's well, not that, recognizable. That, that's a small Because thing. that's an insecurity of that, yours. That, that's but, a very small amount because there's very little that Jeopardy, I don't understand. Jeopardy James just asked you. you you'll, you'll, you'll tell us specifically what you don't understand, and that list is very short, according to you. I think it's much longer than you believe it is. But Jeopardy James lost last night on his 33rd episode. He was within 60-something thousand dollars of breaking the all-time mark set by Ken Jennings, who is a Jeopardy legend. Do you watch Jeopardy ever? Not since I was uh, 15 years old. <laughs> what, when it was on in the was middle of the Art, day? When Art Fleming did Art it. Art Fleming. Yes. I used to watch it religiously when, during did the Did Alex summers. Trebek replace Art Fleming? I mean, Alex Trebek, he's been the host of this since the 80s. Yeah, there might have been one brief person. I can't remember exactly, but I used to watch it very shortly after Fleming. During during the summers uh, when I was off from school before I'd hit the the bricks and 
and go out and play basketball, ride my bike and stuff. It was look, it was Hollywood Squares. Yeah. And with then Paul Lynn right in the middle. Yeah, and Peter Marshall was Peter the host. Peter Marshall was the host. And then Jeopardy right after that at noon. Yeah. So yeah, I used to watch it then. You but, didn't watch um uh Tic Tac Toe with no, Bill Cullen? No, that didn't do much. Or for me. Uh, I watched about, Password. I Password was a good one. Yeah. What about Match Game? Did you ever watch Match Game at no, night? No, that Gene Rayburn irritated me. <laughs> really? Yeah, that stupid microphone he had. Yeah, he had a big old microphone. Yeah. Um so there are two things off of uh, Jeopardy James losing. First of all, he didn't break Ken Jennings' record. He, he, however, holds the top 10 all-time show records, I believe, in 23 of the top 27. Yeah, I think, he, I think it might be the top 15 at this point even. Or whatever it is. Yeah. It, the, the bottom line is the, his strategy, which now people think will become a new and accepted strategy of, of being very aggressive – you know, especially with daily doubles, etc. But he set all of these, you know, individual show records. Ken Jennings took seventy something shows to get to two point five million, right. and James was already at two point four million through thirty two shows. So he was going to break the record in in you know in less than half the time. Um, there were two things that came out of the show last night. If you, if you all are into this and you were watching, and if you're not, I'll get to the second piece, which may be more interesting to you. The first part was that he had a very odd final Jeopardy wager that people didn't get, and it led to a lot of discussion on the internet about conspiracy theories, and this was the night where it was rigged for it to end, and Alex Trebek, at the beginning of this particular show, Aaron, was pretty adamant saying, is this the night? Is enough enough of James? Anyway, the final wager on Final Jeopardy that he made actually made a lot of sense, um, yes. Aaron and I understand it. This was this would sail completely above your head, and, and including your your awards head, which is even taller than your head right now. Um, but basically, he I don't think in any particular episode. Correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron. He had trailed going into Final Jeopardy correct. until last night, and that's why people thought it was so weird because he bet so low when right. He was, he was defending his lead in the past, and this time he was trying That's to right. come up from second place. The net of it is his bet made sense because if Emma, who ended up winning, and she's a librarian from Chicago, very good, very smart. She was quick on the buzzer, too. And she actually had the lead for the first time against Jeopardy! James going into Final Jeopardy! Um, if she got the answer right, he was going to lose. Yeah, he, he, he assumed correctly that she was going to bet to lock him enough out. Enough to lock him out if she got the answer right. So what he did is he protected against the third place guy and bet just enough to make sure that if he got the answer wrong, he would still finish a dollar ahead of the third place guy. And then if she got it wrong, she was trying to wager enough to make sure that she beat James he would win. It was smart strategy, which, by the way, I don't see that strategy ever employed by the person in second place. No, you usually go the a dollar more than if exactly. the person bets zero. Right. So it was actually the really smart strategy because he realized the only way he was going to win is if she missed the final Jeopardy question. And then he could beat out the. Th then it was him against the third place guy, and he ensured that he would have beaten the guy in third place. Anyway, she got the answer right, and she won. And now it's Emma from Chicago moving forward. But the other part of this, Tommy, is that the show's results got leaked early during the day. Well, not leaked. It was aired. 
The show is aired in a couple of markets early in the day where it runs like at noontime. Or even, I think it's I think it's Selma, Alabama. It runs at 9 in the morning. 9 in the morning in Selma, Alabama. So once it ran on uh, Selma, you know, local television, Darren Ravel felt it was his job to let the world know that James was going to lose. When basically 90% of the markets get Jeopardy at night. And people unleashed on Darren Ravel, like, I swear to God, you've got to read the responses. He tweeted out very early in the day after it had actually aired, in today's episode of Jeopardy, which is already aired, and he says in multiple markets at that point, James Holzhauer loses on his 33rd episode. We talked to him this morning about his final episode, episode his run, and what's next, next for his pro sports betting career. There were a th- two th- close to 2,000 responses to Ravel's tweet, of which I would say 1,999 of them were, you turd for spoiling this. What are you doing? I mean, it's just, they called him every name in the book. And what was interesting is I was going through this. People who are Vegas sports guys, who apparently are also into Jeopardy!, Consider Ravel to be a major mark, like, you know, not really understand. He writes a lot about sports gambling, sports business right. for ESPN for years. Now he's with the Action Network. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm uh, guys I follow um, in sort of the sports gambling world were ripping him on his Twitter, just saying, what a horrible thing to do. And then they were getting into conversations with themselves about him being a know nothing sports betting guy. And I said to Aaron earlier today, I can't remember if we had him on the podcast or it was on the radio show on 980, but the last time I had him on, it was shortly after sports betting got legalized. And I remember hanging up from the interview going, he doesn't know anything about sports betting. I mean, he understands the legal you know, states and what they the need to get it. it. But he actually doesn't understand anything about sports betting. He's, it was clear to me that he was not a sports better, which is okay. But all these guys that are, were just ripping him because apparently he tries to come off as a big time better, but it was some mean responses and mean memes. And I actually think people are right. I mean, not that I would rip him like that. Um, but why would you spoil it? You said Steinberg put something up yesterday and then took it down immediately? It wasn't immediately. It took a little bit because he was getting the same really angry response. That it was like, I, I had no idea that people would... He viewed it as a sporting event. He viewed it as the same as like posting the Olympic results when it's in a different time zone. And people viewed it as a TV show. Like so he must have throws. taken a quick response, Ravel-like. Like, oh, what yeah. Are he you... was, I, last I saw before he deleted it was something like... 200 responses, and all of them were negative. I mean, some of the tweets were, you know, not as mean-spirited, but very sarcastic. Like, let's spoil it for the rest of the country, Darren, because it's already aired in Albuquerque. You know, things like that throughout. Um, But he spoiled it for a lot of people. I still would guess that it's going to be the highest-rated show of all of them, in part because people knew he was going to lose. I'm sure. Don't you think? Because not everybody was catching it every night. but it, you, And I didn't catch it every night. But when I knew that he was going to lose last night, I tuned in and watched it. I mean, the, the ratings overall for the run were ridiculous. They were beating the NBA finals in some markets. 
Does that well, make you feel any differently about it? No. First of all, <laughs> I'm in awe. I am in awe of your game show knowledge. It's 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 stunning. I had no idea that you had so much knowledge about such a rich and valuable subject <laughs> as game shows. You know, I mean, I, I have a newfound respect for you. Well, I was a big Richard Dawson fan. You know, may, maybe you should. Uh, Fanny, Fanny Flag. Maybe you should go around the senior citizen complexes and give talks. You know what? Leisure World's invited me. I, I, I could understand and, that and, because and I'm betting the conversation is pretty much like this there. All right. We'll by, move. by the way, uh, 10.1 overnight rating. Oh, my God. God, are you serious? That, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I, I might want to point out everybody's beating the NBA Finals these a days. A 10.1 for, by the way, that's early fringe. That's not even prime time for in most markets because there's no way Jeopardy airs any later than 7.30 right. local yeah. time. Yeah. It's generally 7 or 7.30. Sometimes you'll yeah, see 7 it in the 6 here on hours. Channel 7. Yes. Yeah. And I think, by the way, just um, about Alex, you know, one of the conspiracy theories was that Alex Trebek, who was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which is a pretty aggressive yes, it is. cancer, um, that maybe he wanted to be around for James's final show. But I think, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, there was news recently that it's he, it, he's getting healthier and it's in remission. Yeah, well, it's not completely in remission yet, but it's... But he's gotten very good news. It's heading that way. Apparently, the it's, the tumors have reduced by 50%, and he's apparently on his way to remission. The doctors believe <laughs> it's coming. Tommy right now. He's just rubbing his eyes. He's like, what are we doing? The most important thing in sports today is Jeopardy James. Jeopardy James was quite quite the show there for a I while. I am so glad I'm close to the end instead of the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I am so glad. By the way, he was annoying. Um, he also, you know, like all of these self-proclaimed professional sports bettors, yeah. which I'm sure guys like Darren Ravel, you know, slobber over. Um, when when a profession, when a guy, a self-proclaimed professional sports gambler, tells you that everybody in Vegas knows who he is and also takes all of his action without limits. He is a sports gambler, not a professional sports gambler, um, which they're really um, no no offense to to the people that you know count cards. It's a totally different thing. By the way, speaking of cards, you know where I slipped into the other day for about an hour and a half. The MGM. Yeah, because I had to go out to. I was out in Suitland actually looking at a van for my son who was in a band and they're touring this summer. Anyway. Um, and we got done and I was like, it's easier to go around the other side of the beltway to get home. There you go. And we popped in and, uh, and played, uh, played cards for about an hour and a half. Got some dinner at, at the MGM, went into that, you know, uh, burger tap restaurant out there. Yeah. The sports bar. Yeah. The sports bar. Cause the, the game was coming on. This was Sunday yeah. night. And so, um, you know, it really is, I, I think, I think we've talked about this. It's very well done. What I think they it did is. out there. I mean, I think it's a tremendous facility. Really well done and very scenic in that sports bar. Oh yeah, when you walk, walk outside walk, there and yeah. walk out and see the city. I mean, you're you know you're well south, obviously, of all of the, you know, of the mall. Yeah. I mean, in in, in the monuments, barely in your you know in, in but the, the distance. The Potomac is right there. Potomac's it, right it's, there. It's, it's it's a beautiful facility. Sit there, watch the planes land, and and the parking. Look, at, I've been easy. there on a Saturday easy. night for a fight. The parking's easy. Super easy. Yeah. Everything about that that facility is very easy. And you know, I mean, 
because you and I have both done Vegas like lots of times yes. over our lifetimes, and there's nothing that equals Vegas. No. There just isn't. I mean, it, there's nothing that equals the scene. There's nothing that equals the hotels, the casinos, the food, the entertainment, all of it. And it, I'd, I'd say the air feels different in Vegas. But yet I've had trips where I've barely actually experienced outside air. You breathe some cold air conditioning. (laughs) Um, But the, but I really, and it's only my third time out there, I guess. Uh, And it's, it's just well done. Yes. They really did it right. And you're right. The parking is easy. Yeah. And apparently they, they really bring in. Boatloads of revenue. Oh, I far can, far I can more that, I think than expectations. Were. Well, you know what was interesting is that um, being out there on it was Sunday night. It was after the hailstorm, and then I we had to go out and check out this vehicle. And right, you know, an hour before the the game tipped, and I was like, we can go home or we can stop into the MGM, gamble for a little bit, get some dinner, and watch the game at that that place. But you know what I think it's used for by a lot of people, you know, is restaurants the restaurants and shopping yeah. and a place to hang out you know in in as you said it's fairly scenic yes for now uh, to that, go out and get a you know a couple drinks and dinner now they're starting to have more boxing matches for a while it was dormant it when it first opened they had a, bu- a couple like every month then it was dormant for a while but they're starting to bring them back there's a boxing show there in july you should go see a boxing match there I have go not, see some gambling. Go do some gambling. I, I'll and do, then go, well, go see a boxing. Why show. don't we do that together? Okay. Um, also, y- a big fight in uh, Baltimore. I think it's a Showtime fight, isn't it? Coming up next month. Is it really? Uh, yeah. Javante uh, Davis. Oh, okay. One. Yeah. Wait, in Baltimore, where? I'm not. I think it's at uh, Royal Farms. I really? Think. I'm not 100 percent on that, but I think so. I know he's uh, he's having his first big uh, fight though in Baltimore. Okay. You know the um, Royal Farms. The what theater a- out there. <laughs> when they opened it up, was getting some really good shows and good concerts. I don't know if it still is. I would assume that it is. It but is. I think I saw Steely Dan there. Uh, but I think the anthem and the anthem opening since that opened, uh-huh. has, it probably hurt it well, a little listen, bit. Well, listen, right now in Washington, the competition for music I venues has, been, has dramatically changed. There's so many music venues in this area compared to five, six, oh, seven years it's ago. It's incredible. Just think about it. You still have the 930 Club. You still have the Fillmore. You still have a, you know smaller venues like the Black Cat, which I was down at uh, a week and a half my, ago. One of my favorites, Bethesda Blues and Jazz. Right, which is even smaller. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the theater at MGM. You've got the Anthem on the Wharf. wharf. And, and, there's, and by there... the way, the Anthem, I've been to two shows down there now. That is that is a first-rate facility. That place really is well done. Everything about it, seating, acoustically, everything is great. There's a couple of small music clubs down at the uh, wharf, yeah, too. Another, Pearl Street exactly. Warehouse is a good yep. one. There's never, there, I think City Winery at, at City Place now has a lot of live music. I mean, live music, I don't remember it, now, it being this lively. Because it never town. was. No. It never was. Um, I'm just looking at like upcoming shows at the theater. I, I bet the Birchmare is still Aerosmith. You know. Aer- Aerosmith is coming to the August 10th and August 13th. And you got you know you got Wolf Trap, Jiffy Lube Live, and and Mary. Well, yeah, I'm, but I'm talking about the right, smaller the venues. smaller venues. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I still, to be honest with you, for, for a summer like a good concert to me, Merryweather is still phenomenal. And Jiffy Lube Live for us is just a pain in the ass. To yeah, get anytime to. you got to cross over the right. river. 
Right. And like, and you know what? Wolf Trap, for those of us that have gotten a little bit older, is a great venue. <laughs> it's a great venue. Um, all right. Um, let me do a quick word for Window Nation, and then we'll get to some Redskins discussion, including a follow-up on yesterday's uh, conversation. All right. Uh, Window Nation's summer sizzling savings deal is continuing for another week. It's a buy one, get one free. Window Nation's absolute best offer is still available right now. You buy one window, get the second free. Buy two, get two free. Buy four, get four free. There is no limit. Plus, you'll get 0% interest for five years. There's more to this deal. If you call today, you get a free in-home quote. And when you ask for a free in-home quote, you'll get a pair of tickets to Hershey Park while supplies last. Window Nation will come out to your home within 24 hours, any day of the week to provide you not with estimated pricing, but exact pricing. It's not just an estimate. They're backed by Window Nation's A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. You're guaranteed the best value, or they'll pay you $250. But you've got to act fast. And again, if you've been thinking about new windows, just have them come out and give you a free in-home estimate. There's no cost to it. All right, you'll get the, the Hershey uh, Park tickets if they're still available. And that quote's good for a significant period of time. So you can hold on to that quote and act on it later. Um, 0% interest for five years also exists, plus those bonus tickets to Hershey Park, plus the buy buy one window, get one free with no limit. Call today, 866-90-NATION, or go to windownation.com. All right, um, yesterday, Tommy, uh, I did... I had a discussion, actually two conversations that I want to have with you because one, um, the result, I'll start with that. Actually, we'll come back to Rob Ryan here in a moment, but I had Tark El-Bashir, Michael Phillips, and John Kime on the show yesterday just to sort of get a sense with them being out there for every OTA. Right. Um, mini camp uh, starts, uh, you get mini camp here for the Today. next three days. And actually, I'm going to be out there tomorrow for mini camp. And so, you know, some more information, another chance to hear what Jay Gruden says, which I, is always the most interesting to me. But there was an answer that all three were consistent with, right, Aaron? And that is about Haskins' timetable for starting. None of the three think he's going to start the opener. Really? They all believe that he is going to start sometime, you know, after the beginning portion of the season where, you know, I'm not hung up on the schedule, you know that, and I think some are, some aren't. John John pointed out as well that, you know, trying to predict what the schedule is going to be like, but they all, you know, sort of are in that area of looking at after the first five games. Which is what I've said repeatedly. And then starting at Miami. At Miami. Putting him in the best position to succeed. Um. I will be disappointed if he doesn't start sooner than that. I will really be disappointed if he doesn't start sooner than that. I understand that not that not every top 15 pick as a quarterback is going to start the opener. But with for most of them over the last few years, it's within fewer than five games. It's the second game of the year, the third game of the year. You know, tr- I think in Trubisky's case, it may have been the fourth or fifth game of the year. I... But, you know, in, in some of those situations, there was better competition than Case Keenum and Colt McCoy. I want Haskins to really advance 
really grasp everything that's going on there this summer. I want all of the you know the word coming out about how impressed they are with how quickly he's picked up on the system, how quickly he's gotten it in the huddle in calling plays, and the physical part is already becoming you know the physical part's already there, but the mental part's already becoming second you know nature. I don't want to see. I, I think if they're sitting there, you know, in the first part of the season, and Case Keenum is starting for five games or six games, it's just an indication to me, not that they're being super patient with Dwayne Haskins, but that you know it's more of a developmental thing with him. I I don't see why if he's not grasping things this summer and in training camp and the competition's close, I don't need him to win the competition. I just need him to be close in the competition. Put him out there and let's get rolling. I did think it was interesting because I, I you know I take John and Mike and 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 Tarek and JP and others who are out there talking to these guys every day. I talk to some of these guys every once in a while, but they're out there every day and they're talking to coaches and players and they get a sense of what they're thinking. And all three of them were aligned in that yeah, it's it's probably going to be five or six games into the season. Well, you know, let me ask you, let's say it's not. Let's say that he starts the opener. Mm-hmm. It's isn't there uh, based on what you know now, and you'll probably have more knowledge, a lot more knowledge by then, obviously. But isn't there a real possibility that that call is being made then by the owner? And are you okay with that? No, I'm not okay with that. And when I say I want him to start the opener, I want it to be because the coaches are okay. comfortable with him okay. starting the opener. I mean, and, and, uh, it's a fair point because right. it's, that's in play. That is in play. And here's what's also in play. Jay Gruden knows he needs to win every football game he can. So he needs to put the quarterback out there at the beginning of the year that he thinks gives him the best chance to win that game against the Eagles, that game against the Cowboys. And given their defense and the way they played last year Top five. with Alex Smith in the beginning of the year, Case Keenum is the closest thing to Alex Smith. I think Jay Gruden thinks he's better than Alex Smith. So, so if that's the case, he, I mean, Jay's if Jay is playing for his job, and we suspect there's part of Jay that's thinking, you know, I don't particularly care if I keep my job, but I think there's part of him that would like to keep it. So, so I'm thinking that if, if Jay's playing for his job, he's he's going to look at at who who gives me the best chance to win game one. So it just occurred to me as you were talking that you and I haven't had this conversation, but I have had this conversation on the podcast without you and with others because there is this interesting situation and I brought it up with John yesterday and that is let's just assume for a moment that Jay really does want to be employed for a long period of time here in Washington as the head coach that's the assumption now consider the dilemma is it better for him to develop Dwayne Haskins and not make the playoffs or have a chance to and maybe squeak in as the five seed or the six seed going nine and seven with Case Keenum, which is better for his long-term employment oh, that, prospects. That's a, that's a no-brainer. I mean, if you're dealing with rational people, that's an argument. But if you're dealing with Dan Snyder, who's trying to get people to come to the stadium, you got to squeak into the playoffs. you got to be the accidental Redskins playoff team that we've seen from time to time. If you if you want to keep your so job, so then what do you do in twenty twenty? 
If Case Keenum started 16 in games, you went 9-7, and seven, in 20, and you lost a first-round wild-card game. Well, look at the, the the Chiefs let Alex Smith walk on a year. How much? They won 13 games or something like that, 12, right? Yeah. 12 games. So you can do it. And at that point, Jay Gruden's going to have maybe another two-year extension at least, maybe more, so he doesn't have to worry about his job so that he could turn around and say, okay, you know, let, let, let's go with, with, with Haskins. I don't know what the right answer – I don't agree with you that it's obvious. Um, but well, it's I, only but, obvious because of the people we're talking about. Yeah, but I think because of the people we're talking about, Dan's going to want to see Haskins play and be developed and yeah, have an but understanding. That, but that fight will have been settled long before the end of the an, season. But to have an understanding that Jay's the right guy to continue to develop him. And if you Boy, that's don't a big pl- wish. and if you don't play him, you're not going to know. That's a big wish. And if you play him, more likely than not, you're not going to the postseason. Right. But you could you could end the season with some big wins or close losses to finish seven and nine, and it's trending upward because Haskins is really starting to play well. By the way, this this is something I did without you last week as well. Um, this is my research, uh, and no one's corrected me on this, so I'm going to assume that I'm right. In the last 10 years, there's only been one coach, only one, that's missed the playoffs um, four consecutive seasons and been brought back for that fifth season, and that was Jeff Fisher. And the reason was, I think, they were moving from St. Louis to Los Angeles, and they just they were going to wait on the coach until they had all, all the other stuff and related to the move worked out. Everybody else, basically, had, including Tom Coughlin, a Super Bowl-winning coach, right. when he missed the playoffs four straight years, he didn't get a, a fifth year. Harbaugh wouldn't have come back this year had they not made the playoffs last year. Sean Payton missed the playoffs three consecutive seasons. And the discussion, if he had missed a fourth, is that he may have been out of New Orleans, also a Super Bowl-winning coach. Imagine Jay Gruden doesn't make the playoffs four consecutive seasons, and he's Jeff Fisher coming back for next year. But the circumstance would be, the reason you could see it happening is if Dwayne Haskins is improving, and Dwayne Haskins, I love Jay Gruden. I love Kevin O'Connell. I don't want you guys to switch these guys out. It's working. We're going to be good next year. I don't see... uh, I see Dan Snyder blaming... If things go south this year, even though Dwayne Haskins develops, if the team's play goes south bad and by December, you know, Ghost Town Stadium is really worse, Ghost Town Stadium, I think that Dan Snyder will blame Jay. I think he'll blame him. I think also, and I don't know if I've thrown this out, I think Kevin O'Connell is really important in this this year. It's something to keep an eye on. Is he another genius? Because they got a lot of geniuses out there at Redskins Park. Uh, that it, that if the, the relationship between O'Connell and Haskins is really strong, um, that that could be a way to move on from Jay but keep consistency. Um, anyway. But I ask you, is he another genius? You know, because they're, they're, their cup runneth over with geniuses at Redskins Park. <laughs> They've got many of them. I know. Um, so the other thing I talked about yesterday that um, got quite a, a reaction – on my Twitter uh, notifications was mentioning that um, Rob Ryan had, you know, had, had basically said he's got a top five defense that he's working with. And my point is like, it always is this time of year, whether it's Landon Collins predicting, you know, multiple Super Bowls or whatever over the years, you know, Ryan Clark and Josh Norman and all, all of them. That's just the constant, you know, 
we're we're close and we're good and we're going to be top five in this and we're going to win this division and we're going to do this and and just and the results always being the opposite. The results always being the opposite. So I I basically said Dan's got to get a hold of this situation once and for all. It's funny because I did hear from somebody that listened to the podcast yesterday. And let's just say they're very close to the organization, if not in it, that said that conversation needs to happen, should have happened years ago, but will never happen. Never happen. Will never happen. No. But I said that Snyder basically needs to go grab that red-faced team president of his and his head coach and tell them both that if anybody lips off one more time about how great we're going to be, and how great our defense is going to be, or how great this guy's going to be, or whatever. They're getting fined 50000 bucks, and if it happens twice, all of you are fired. But this guy said, this is exactly, this guy told me, said, what you said Dan Snyder should say to the organization should have been said 10 years ago. But he doesn't care, and in some cases, he, he doesn't it. even know it's going on. Well, I'll bet you he likes it, too. But, but he said that conversation will never, ever happen. No. It, um, it, and, it, I, it, and I said, why? And he said, well, one, he's not a communicator in that way with, with you know the team. He may communicate stuff when he's really angry with people, but not necessarily with Bruce. Anyway, I digress. Rob Ryan predicting you know top five defense says you know he's got a top five defense on his hands you know what if they don't finish in the top five defensively fire rob ryan greg minuski and everybody else but here were my favorite responses to it because a lot of you agreed most of you agreed and some of you of course are saying well what do you want him to say nothing is what i want him to say just go out and show me don't tell me anymore oh you know this is them i mean they got confidence they're trying to instill confidence in everybody really how has that worked out for them over the years the Kool-Aid drinkers. Oh, my God. Um, but from a Cowboys fan who had Rob Ryan in Dallas, mark my words, before the season is over, Rob Ryan will blame Greg Minuski for a loss. I had another tweet from a Saints fan who said, Rob Ryan will throw everybody in the organization under the bus after the defense gets torched in a game. I didn't even think about Rob Ryan from that standpoint. He is a buffoon yeah. of the highest order and has been, and by the way, was not a good coordinator. And and was out of football before he offered a job with the Redskins. Well, you, you want to share something with me about uh, Rob Ryan's um, uh, name for the coaching staff, but the point is, is that I didn't even think about it from the standpoint of how it's ended for him in other places. And many times it was because of big mouth back uh, backstabbing. Yeah. Results also. But and, big and, mouth and, backstabbing. And you have to admit, the place where big mouth backstabbing can grow, can flourish, can can grow like a giant beanstalk yeah. is Redskins Park. There's no better place. I mean, no. I mean, he is in the perfect incubator for 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 that that kind of act. There's Jack's laying seeds all over the place. Yes. So so he couldn't be in in a better place all right, to fly. So tell his me wares. what I missed about something that Rob Ryan said. Well, one of the things I read in uh I guess in his interview with uh NBC Sports Washington, he talked about how the coaches are kind of long in the tooth, he said, uh pointing out that, you know, between the lines that Two of the coaches weren't even in football last year, or actually three of them. Including himself. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he said, 
You know, I know this is a big deal in Washington, but we're the over-the-hill gang. Well, he's old enough to remember it. We're the over-the-hill gang for coaches. So now... Maybe Bruce put him up to that. Maybe, because that's his, that's his dad's team. You know, and so now you've got a situation where not only not, the players, we've criticized the players for coming up with names for their defensive units before, like capital punishment and things like oh, that. Oh, all of the self-proclaimed you know, names, yeah. Right. Now the coaching staff has come up with a name for themselves. Was that Chris Baker who came up with capital punishment? Yeah. yeah. The over-the-hill. How'd that year do yeah, defensively? By the way, he's out of football now. Is he? Yeah. The over-the-hill He was a nice gang. kid. Yeah, he was. Probably an overachiever. Yeah. Um, the over the hill gang for the coaching staff. So the yeah. coaching staff's going to have a nickname. Yeah, that's great. I love it. It's awesome. I see T-shirts coming <laughs> with Rob Ryan's picture on them. Rob Ryan, Jim Tom Sula. See Tom Sula. So I also pointed out yesterday that John John Allen had a quote in a story on NBC Sports Washington, and I don't have it in front of me right now, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. It was we haven't done anything yet. So all we need to do is focus on minicamp, training camp. Like, this is a guy who played for Nick Saban, a legitimate winner, and knows what it takes to win, and knows that part of winning means you don't tell people you're going to win before you win. And it's almost like I I, I think guys, like, I'm, I'm... I love this young defensive core talent-wise. I think they did pretty well in the draft for the most part, but who the hell knows about a draft? But I will say that drafting John Allen over the last couple of years, he, he I don't think he's going to be Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox. I think he's going to be a very good player and a potential Pro Bowl player at some point. Not a dominant player, but really good. But when you, but put, when, is, when you put him with Deron Payne and Matt Ioannidis... This, this, is, this is the kind of maturity, the kind of disposition... You know, in culture that this organization needs, and sometimes, I mean, look, I you got to give somebody credit for bringing these guys in, you know, because not only was John Allen and in, you know incredibly impressive on film, but they also knew what kind of guy this guy was. Like he's smart, he's a leader, he's no nonsense. Deron Payne appears to be the same. Matt Ioannidis is definitely, you know, in that same you know cultural place that John Allen is. I would bet that they often look around at some of the things that are being said and say, stop. Yeah. Stop. We got our asses kicked last year. The last time people watched us last year, we were down 40 to nothing at halftime against the Giants or early in the third quarter. We got blown out last year more than any team in the NFL not named the Cardinals. Like, this is just reality. Now, like, now let top me just, five defense, they're nowhere near a top now five let's, defense. Let me, I, 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 this, this needs to be top reminded. 12, 15, maybe. This needs to be reminded, I think, a number of times because everybody wants to bury it. And I don't think it should be buried. I think it's far more significant than what people realized. One of the leaders of the team last year, one of their best defensive players, couldn't keep his mouth shut about how bad the coaching was by the defensive coaches to the point where they cut him. D.J. Swearinger, whatever you think of D.J. Swearinger, he was one of their best defensive players last year. He was a leader the minute he got here, which happens all the time with with the Redskins. The new guy winds up being the leader. They were hoping Reuben Foster was going to be a leader uh, of this team. So so you had a situation where, where a guy was mouthing off, not about how good they were, 
but about how bad they were and why. And it got him kicked out of Redskins Park. Yeah, I mean... And I understand that. You can't have players publicly ripping the coaching staff, but you need to look beyond that and consider whether he was speaking the truth. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, But I, I, I can tell you that DJ Swearinger among the players on defense had gotten to the point where they couldn't take him anymore either. I mean, maybe they felt like some of the words that he was speaking were accurate and there was some truth in it. But, you know, guys like John Allen, real leaders. Yeah, I know, but the, they real, would never rip their coaches publicly, of no course, matter how but, bad but they, they are. Gotten, I said you can't have yeah, that. Yeah, they had gotten to the point where this is disruptive. I understand. Yeah. You can't abide that. Right. But... You need to look past that and wonder if he was if he knew what he was talking about. I hear you. Um, God, it, you know, the one thing about the Redskins 2019 season that's changed in the last couple of months is it has become more interesting. Than oh it, yeah, than it was prior to you know mid March, certainly end of April. It's become more interesting, which I'm sure is part of the goal. Like if you're if you're mapping out a revitalization strategy, which they had to have some meetings about, what do we do? How do we fix this? Part of it was we got to get people talking about the team a little bit because right now nobody's talking about the team. And getting aggressive in free agency more than they have in recent years. I mean, they didn't land everybody that they wanted to land. Right. But they had a different. They got one big name. They had a different that people mindset. got excited about. And then drafting the quarterback and Montez Sweat, who, yes. by the way, all three of the guys I had on yesterday, and the person that I talked to yesterday about my comments about Snyder also said that Sweat just looks like a beast. Okay, like already so impressive. Let me, let me ask I mean, it's you early. about Sweat. Yeah, because this has kind of disappeared. What about this supposed heart problem he had? I, I don't know. Like I, I. I I should look into what the specifics were on that. He claimed that it was a misdiagnosis. Right. And that's possible. It happens. You know, with some of these, you know, big, strong, long-armed athletes, sometimes it's enlarged heart stuff, you know. I know, but sometimes. Which, you know, on an echocardiogram can show up as something that, you know, can be concerning, but in in some cases can be totally benign. That could absolutely be I'm not trying to be a cardiologist here, but But, I, I... I follow some of this stuff. But here's what I I wonder, uh, and I only know this because I've read this from people who cover the league. Usually during the draft, when you have a player like that, there'll be a letter that's put out by the league doctors to all the teams. Well, there there was something that said he's cleared medically. I don't recall seeing that. Oh, I think there was. Hold on. Uh, I don't recall that at all. I think think there was something that came out like literally the day. Well, maybe it did. And if it did, then then it's put to rest. Um, but that's my question: is I don't recall seeing anything like that. Hold on here. So, but yeah, but yeah, he's he is he's it looks like he's going to be a tremendous talent. But is he going to be any better than Preston Smith? Yes. Really? I think so. Okay, but what if he's just as good as Preston Smith? The, this team just wallowed through four seasons or five seasons with Preston Smith. So as great as Montez Sweat is, they had a guy in Preston Smith. And and what was the sum of all that talent? 
I'm sorry. I'm sitting here looking up stuff about, the, and I'm just going to read this to well, you because. Okay. Go ahead. Ask, no, no, ask, I'm, ask I'm, the question again. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm trying to be a good co host and fill time I, I while know. you're researching. Well, we, we know how to do Because no that. one wants to listen to you research so tell me what on you, your computer. Ask the question again. Well, my question, I mean, my question is as great as Montez Sweat can be, they had a pretty good defensive player in Preston Smith. He was okay. He was pretty good. He was okay. Okay. Yeah, he was very inconsistent. You know what? If if Sweat is very as good as Preston Smith, then it would be a successful draft pick. No, it would not. Yes, it would. He's got to be better than Preston Smith. Okay. You pre- when you when you trade you back, you go back to researching <laughs> on the computer. When you trade back into the first round, yeah. and you take a Montez Sweat, who by the way, you know, has top five talent okay. in this draft, but obviously fell because of the concerns medically. Um, if he look, if he has a medical condition and it, it ends up being impactful to his career, that's different. But if he's healthy, um, I'm not saying that I want Von Miller out of it, but I want a double digit sack guy every year. I want a Preston Smith and uh, Preston Smith was, what was his best sack year? Preston Smith's. I don't even know. But the, apparently he was he was better. He he was, Preston Smith is not anywhere near the talent that Montez Sweat is. Okay, Montez Sweat is a legit Stop elite hurt talent. Here. He is Tommy. This was the guy I was I on know he all is. season long, and I'm thrilled and I'm more excited to watch him than anybody else. But I do want to just look at uh, what his stats were. Here they are on Preston Smith. Eight sacks, four and a half sacks, eight sacks, four sacks. Major disappointment if Montez Sweat ends up being a 24-sack guy in four years. Major disappointment. For me, anyway. um, Preston Smith's 2018 grades on Pro Football Focus were high quality, between high quality and elite. Yeah, he's not an elite player in well, my view. I, I mean, and I, I, I in, don't, in your I don't, view. I don't live with pro football. I didn't say numbers. you have to live with it. I'm just pointing I'm, out I'm, that it's a different point of view than than what you've managed to figure out. No, my point of view is that Montez Sweat's talent is much greater than Preston Smith's talent. So, so if, if he ends if, up if with Preston Smith, Smith results, I'm going to be disappointed. Well, you keep That's you all. keep dealing with numbers. And so if Mon- no, not. Montez I'm, no, Sweat, let me take the let me take the numbers out of it. Qualitatively, Montez Sweat is a much more explosive player, a bigger, stronger, faster, longer player than Preston Smith, who was a dominant dominant defensive player in college football, arguably the best defensive player in college football last year. Preston Smith didn't have that kind of talent coming out of college, and it manifested itself in the pros as a guy that was just a good player with good talent, not a game-changing player. Montez Sweat was selected by the Redskins and well, traded seems up in the first opinion. round. It is Pro my opinion. Football Focus seems to have a different opinion. It's my, opi- it's my opinion. That, that is 100% my opinion, and I think almost anybody else that's followed this would share that opinion with me. That Montez sweats upside is much greater than Preston. Smith's. Let's go to the videotape. Okay, what do you want? What do you want? On I'm the waiting for you. I, I'm waiting for you to come up with the the information about press about Sweat's medical condition. Oh, um, God damn it! I just had it open, and now I cl- I think I just closed it oh out because we got sidetracked there. We got um, sidetracked because I was dancing while you were looking it up. I, I I read through it quickly and now I I don't have it in front of me. But basically, you see, everybody, you basically, see what I have to deal with it was, on a regular basis. It was an enlarged heart, you know, a cardio my uh, something 
that was diagnosed at the Combine that the teams, when they did further studies, were got comfortable with it. Because basically it's one of those things that a lot of people, a lot of athletes have already. And there, I, there is some risk with it, I think, with an enlarged heart. I don't know. I'm not going to speak as if I'm a cardiologist. Jesus Christ, I had it. Are you looking it up now? Yeah, I'm looking okay. it up. <laughs> wait, wait, here it is. Here it is. Okay. He uh, has an enlarged heart. Yes. Yeah. An unusual heart. Here's the here's the story. Okay. Um, red flag was reported at the NFL Combine, uh, but he was allowed to work out anyway. The heart issue uh, was... The thickening of the heart walls which would mean there is no risk for Montez Suess under this diagnosis, according to Ian Rappaport. That's right. The, so. the original diagnosis was an enlarged heart and may need the precaution of an external you know, defib machine at every practice and every game. And it's now in this particular story, they write, this makes the issue sound like it's cardiac myopathy with potential arrhythmia issues, thus the need for a defibrillator. That sounds well, significant, but an AED is standard at all practices, games, and even on team flights, so the adjustment would be minimal. Okay. Look, I'm not wishing for him to have a heart condition. Oh, my God, condition. no. He, he's my, he's, he may be the number one area of excitement for me as a Redskins fan. I cannot wait to see him play. Seriously. I, all season long, watching that Mississippi State defense and watching him play – I kept thinking every time I watched him, my God, he is going to wreak havoc in the NFL as an outside pass rusher, and he'd be perfect as an outside 3-4 pass rusher. And they got him, which is awesome. They had to trade back up. I thought they were going to take him at 15 and would have been thrilled if they had taken him at 15. But anyway, we've this this last five, six, seven minutes with the medical condition and you trying to compare him to Preston Smith has been boring for most people. What else did we okay. have today? You know what's been boring for most people? <laughs> you all over the place like a bumper car. I know, I am. I'm all over the place. I agree. I agree and I admit it. Um, what else did you have Redskins related? You said Zach Brown said something. What did he say? Oh, I don't know. I'm In bored. Philadelphia. I'm, I'm too bored to, to, <laughs> to pay attention to what Zach Brown said. I'm bored. Think, Everybody's bored. I think, basically Zach, bored. I think Zach Brown basically said that the culture in Philadelphia is much better than the culture in Washington. Yeah, that's pretty much oh, what he said. But what, is he, what does he know? Shocker. You know, he was this lousy linebacker who the coaches said, I mean, what was, what was so interesting based on some of the uh, comparisons from that hard-hitting press corps out at Redskins Park oh, boy. is that Zach Brown – you know, missed a lot of assignments, was, you know, was really lacking, really had a poor year. You know, this is what we heard from certain segments uh -huh. of, 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 of the Redskins press corps. Right. Which is my contention is all along, there are certain segments of the press corps that know what the Redskins want them to know. <sighs> I, I'm not following, I mean, Zach I'm not Brown, following that words, situation. If Zach Brown was so bad, why is he with the team now that, that everyone thinks is going to go to the Super Bowl? Look, I, I, last year when they re-signed Zach Brown, and I had heard a lot of the, you know, the flaws in his game right. and a lot of the concerns that coaches had in the game, and all I kept saying to Cooley is 
He's the fastest guy on defense and makes more plays, impactful plays, than anybody else on the defense. And if he can't cover, then don't have him cover. Yeah. Like, it's why is that so difficult? But, yeah, I mean, we'll see what he does in Philadelphia. He can run. We know that. Like, at that position, inside linebacker, he can really run. And he can cover sideline to sideline with the best of them. But apparently he is such a liability in coverage yeah. that the Redskins were ready yeah. to move on couldn't, from him. Couldn't wait to get rid of him. Couldn't wait to get rid of him. Uh, in fact, I think that a year ago that there were plenty of coaches that would have been fine had the Redskins not re-signed him to that, you know, the, to that one-year deal. Uh, to, and I think Bruce wanted to bring him back and others. I, I thought it made sense, sense to bring him back. Um, quick uh, reminder that if you're listening to the show on iTunes, if you could rate us and review us, that would be great. If you haven't done it, subscribe. Doesn't cost you anything. That helps us as well. You, you, were you going to interrupt? No, I was. I, I, I don't want to bore anybody. So. It, it looked like you were going to say something. No, I don't. I don't. I don't want to risk boring somebody. No, I don't want to say anything. Risk it. No. Do you know that? Um, you and I are both huge Office fans. Yes. The uh, I was a huge BBC version of The Office, but we're both fans of the American show as well. And it was, I don't know, maybe two months ago. We may have talked about this, but Jenna Fisher was on one of these late night shows. It may have been with Conan. I think it was with Conan. And he was talking about The Office, which is now many, many years ago with her. And he, he, she was talking about how she got the part and her agent or the casting director said before her audition, dare to bore them to death. <laughs> that that was, and that just stuck out when you just said that because I want you to dare to bore people to death. Well, I don't, I don't have to try to bore people to death. I do it naturally. No, you don't. No, you don't. We, 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 we enjoy each other's company and hopefully even when we get sidetracked and I lose my, my, my path and veer off it, hopefully not people, you know, you it, look, you don't have to sit there and wait. You can just fast forward to the part where we pick it up. We're not going to talk about Jeopardy anymore. You know what? I did want to talk we about Kawhi always, Leonard. We can always hope. We can always hope. So um, quick word about Kawhi Leonard. The story came out yesterday that Kawhi Leonard has purchased a property in Toronto. A hot dog stand? No, a residence, oh, a residential okay. property in Toronto. Now, several months ago, the reports came out that he had re- uh, he had reportedly purchased a $13.5 million property in Southern California. And the, the assumption all along here is that Kawhi Leonard's going back to Southern California. Whether it's with the Lakers or the Clippers, more likely than not the Clippers, that's where he's going. But why would he buy a property in Toronto if it isn't a possibility? I was reading about this early this morning, and there are lots of people that now feel like there's a chance he'll sign a one-year deal and play one more year in Toronto, you know, regardless of how this series turns out, because he's enjoyed it and they've got a chance to contend and win a title next year as well. He doesn't have to sign a long-term deal right. to stay in Toronto. Right. Look, uh, again, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but like I've told you before, Toronto is a very cosmopolitan city yes. that's welcoming to people of color. Pe- people feel very comfortable there from all cultures, all races, all walks I mean, of life. We're not comparing Toronto to Milwaukee. We're comparing it to Southern California. Right, but I said, but Toronto... And home is Southern There's Southern no California American city that's comparable that I've ever been in to Toronto for, e- even D.C., for the lifestyle that it offers 
to people from all sorts of races and cultures. It just doesn't. There's 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 no city that that's really. What about Vancouver? Well, Vancouver's a Canadian city. I know, I understand that. So So is Toronto. So I'm saying American city. I've never been to Vancouver, so I I couldn't tell you. And I I can't, I I, I bet that in some small way, at least, that comes into play, that he's very comfortable in Toronto. Uh, And, and, uh, again, I'm not saying it's a driving force, but I think it comes into play. Um, I would love to see him stay in Toronto. I want them to win this series. Uh, Did you watch the game the other night? Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I watched it. I mean, you know, it's interesting that Golden State found the perfect way to use DeMarcus Cousins. Keep him on the shelf for the whole year so you don't have to deal with, with with the foolishness of DeMarcus Cousins and then bring him back. For the NBA Finals, when he's only got a few when games, he's only got he can't a few games. I mean, because he played well, played really he, well. He really played well. So you're getting, you're you're not going to have to hang on to Demarcus Cousins long enough to to uh, to suspend him or fine him or watch him get kicked out of a game. This way, you 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 basically they imported one of the most talented players in the league. I think he's a loser, but in this case. He's, it's the perfect fit for the time that they're using him. Uh, I think Golden State's still going to win the series. Um, he was really good the other night for them. It, it, one of the things that I said yesterday, and I think after they beat Houston, it's so impressive to see winning cultures and what they do to everybody on the team. You know, like Quinn Cook came off the bench and was sensational. Like, but it wasn't just the results. It like was the old San, like the Spurs and the Spurs, yeah. like the Patriots. Yes. Like when you see these long-term winning organizations, there's a culture there that just makes everybody that's associated with it feel invincible. Like there's this confidence that it brings to the last guy on the bench. You know, we've had you know, we've had Alonzo McKinney and Quinn Cook and Kevin Looney, who's now out for the rest of the series. By the way, that injury um, is going to take him out of the rest of the series, and he played so well for them over the last three weeks. You know, going back to the beginning of the Houston series, but just that everybody associated with the the franchise has this air of confidence where it doesn't matter what position you put us in. It doesn't matter which player we have to bring off the bench. It doesn't matter that a player's been injured and is coming back and has been a problem everywhere else he's gone. He's going to be good for us. You know what's maybe maybe the flip side of that? That's it in a good way. I think there's also the pressure of fear. In other words, you you recognize you're surrounded by greatness. You don't want to be the guy to let them down. There's probably some of that we've seen. Yeah, you, I mean, you've been, you're in a situation where you don't want to be the weak link. Right. You walk into a locker room, let's use DeMarcus Cousins yeah. as an example, and he has been, you know, a headache yeah. in other places. And he's looking around at all these, you know, championship players with all of these rings, and it's like, Man, I don't want to let them down. No. I don't want to be the guy that there, F's, F's a, it I all think up. Some of that that would really be a hit to my legacy if I'm the guy that comes in and screws it all up. <laughs> Even JaVale McGee was okay with them. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it is a it's you know what comes first though the culture or the you know the winning like do you like the Patriots in two thousand in two thousand when they went on the run like they could have easily lost that playoff game to the Raiders in the snow yes. and never made it and the next year was a missed playoff season 
in 2001. I think it's, and then they look, won it in 2002. I think three. like anything else, it starts way, way up on the top with the owner. I think it really does. You have to have an owner that recognizes uh, that recognizes how to hire talented people and let them do their jobs. I but, mean, in, but in a way, you, that, but then you need you need a break or two that leads yeah, you to well, of course winning you in a championship, and then it can start to snowball yeah, a little bit. Of course, you need. A but break. you're right; the groundwork has to be laid. Yeah, because you're not going to put yourself into a position where you can get a little bit lucky. Yeah, I mean, do you know who owns the Golden State Warriors? Yeah, it's um that guy. Yeah, you see, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's that's the kind of owner you want. <laughs> I know. Why am I blanking on his name? Um, I can I can picture him right now. By the way, he was the first off the uh, off the uh, out of the crowd the other night to be on the floor congratulating them. Um, but anyway, uh, it's uh, so my point is I mean Robert jo- Kraft, Lakeup. you know Robert Kraft. Whenever uh, you know he he's not indulging himself in Florida, mm-hmm. is is a good owner. Yeah, you know, is a good NFL owner. Steve Bisciotti's a good owner. Yeah, who owns the Spurs? Um, you see, we don't know. Yeah. I don't know who owns the Spurs. I know who owns the the the, uh, the Dallas, but I don't know who owns the Spurs. You know what? I I wouldn't have gotten this. It's Peter Holt, uh, who is the the chairman and CEO of Spurs Sports and Entertainment. So my Peter point Holt. is, it really starts with the ownership, and, and and it could be just simply not doing anything than just not getting in the way. Right, right. Me- and, and 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 hiring and having faith. In the people you hire. Do we have one good owner in this town? I don't think we do. I don't think so either. I think that we I think have... We have le- I think we have less offensive and less, you know, destructive owners. Yes. Um, which I would put the learners and Ted into that category. Yes. Um, but none of them are geniuses, and none of them have created, you know... Look, the, the bottom line on Ted is they got Alex Ovechkin. They 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 were in, in yeah. a position to draft him number one overall, and if Alex Ovechkin hadn't been a part of this organization since two thousand six now or whatever it is, um, it would the results would have been probably you know middling. Yeah, no, I don't think we do have a good owner in town. We have some people, and I give Brian McClellan credit for this because I think he's a pretty good GM, and obviously I think Mike Rizzo's a good GM. Uh, Mike Rizzo's a good GM. I think we have people who protect. The organization sometimes from the bad ownership, uh, particularly on the baseball side, right? More maybe than the hockey side, uh, but no, I wouldn't say any. I wouldn't feel good about any of these guys owning my team. I think that Ted is good at creating a really good consumer experience for his teams. I think he isn't as good at making a part of that consumer experience winning. Well, consistent you read winning. The interview I think he did with Chris uh, Miller. Chris I had, Miller. I had Chris on the, other, okay. on the show the other didn't day. Didn't he basically say he didn't really talk to anybody in the Wizards organization, save for Ernie? Yeah, Ernie was the guy. I mean, so in other words, when when <laughs> look, I'm sorry, but when I'm writing year after year uh-huh. that this is this guy's a disaster, that you have to get rid of this guy, that I'm when I'm putting in his one loss record. After on on social media, after every you. game, it, isn't there at least a curiosity by the owner that's saying, "Jesus, I, I know this guy. He may be an idiot, but he's not this stupid. Maybe there's something to what he says. Maybe I should look into this 
to see if there's really a problem. And he didn't do that? Do you know that one of the things he admitted to Miller, um, to Chris, is that in 2016 they made mistakes. Remember during that whole period of time when we, you know, I forget which side you were on. I was on the side of they're not going to get Durant. They shouldn't clear this space. They should keep Trevor Ariza. Oh, yeah. They should keep, you know, some of these other guys. If they keep down this path, they add another piece, Otto develops a little bit, they're going to be fine. And he admitted to Chris that he wasn't as close to that and that they made mistakes in clearing all that cap space to go after Durant. How can you not be that close to it? What what are you, consumed with your eSports team, Team Liquid? Is that who you're close to? Well, at that point, he wasn't yet consumed with his restaurant and sports book. That's true. Um, He wasn't. Sam but you know, Ted, look, yet. I mean, one of the things Ted, you know, comes from this environment. It's funny because he acts very much like he comes from this, you know, established corporate environment. And yet really AOL was an entrepreneurial, you know, young, aggressive company early on. Now he wasn't there at the beginning. He came via acquisition um, with his company out of Florida, but He's very patient. I, I, you, I predicted that his answer on why he didn't have a GM yet would be, you know, corporate speak about being patient and crossing every T and dotting every I and making sure we get it right rather than getting it fast. All the things that you hear, you know, in the corporate world. But the bottom line is, is that they don't have anybody yet. I think they're waiting on somebody from one of these two teams. It has to be that at this point. You or, would think so. Or Tommy Shepard's going to be the GM. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. so no, the, the, the answer would be, I agree with you. I on mean, that. you know, I don't think any, any of the owners in this town are good owners. I do think unlike the football owner, at least Ted and the learners have created for, for, by the way, sports that, you know, a, appeal to fans using them in a way that isn't driven by winning, you know, 81 dates at the ballpark. 41 for basketball and hockey. You know, we're not talking about eight games a year. We're really, you got to win to draw. Right. You got to win to be relevant. They've created, I mean, I, I, I like going to Capital One Arena. I like going to Nats Park. I think they, you know, if you compare that part of it, the consumer experience, I mean, they are way ahead of where Dan Snyder oh, is. Oh, yeah. Way ahead of them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, all right. Uh, you got to. I won't see you until Thursday. So Golden State at one one. What happens? Golden they, State wins in in five or uh, six. In six. Okay. I still like that. I picked Golden State before in in six. I think. I think I'm going to stick with that as well. Um, I I think Toronto really missed out on an opportunity, huge opportunity on Sunday night to grab a 2 nothing seriously. They really had them by the nuts at the end of the first half and just let them back in it at the end of that first half and then, you know, and, and then got blown out at the beginning of the third quarter. I mean, it was close at the end, but that 18 nothing run really decided uh, the game. Uh, I wanted to mention real quickly one other story that came out since yesterday, and it's Roger Goodell and him talking about preseason football games saying he was at a charity golf event in Buffalo or Western New York. It's a, it was a Jim Kelly um, charity golf tournament. And he was asked about the preseason games before. And I think he has said some of this in the past, but um, he essentially said four preseason games are too many. 
you know, and he said, quote, I feel what we should be doing is always to the highest quality, and I'm not sure preseason games meet that level right now. I'm not sure talking with coaches that four preseason games are necessary anymore to get ready for a season, to evaluate players, develop players. There are other ways of doing that, and we've had a lot of discussions about that. Um, Without revealing any details, Goodell called it, quote, the best sign, close quote, that the league and union have already begun discussions about a new CBA um, nearly two years before um, it expires. That's going to be a part. I don't know. I I felt this way the last time and I was wrong. I think that we're going to be down to three preseason games minimum, hopefully two after the next collective bargaining agreement. But again, you know, I mention this all the time. Not everybody's in agreement on this from the team's perspectives. You know, there are some teams that say we need these games to, you know, really evaluate players. And then from a business standpoint, it is all revenue, very low cost. Right. So how are they going to make up that lost revenue? Well, you would theoretically do that by adding regular season games, which would be generate a lot more revenue. Yeah, but I mean, we we can agree that the talent in the league can't seem to hold up for 16 games. No, you would have to increase roster yeah. uh, sizes but to again, do that. And add a second bye week. To me, that's, that's, that's how you do it. You'd have to do all those things, and, and neither of those things would help you with the quality of quarterback play in the league. It would, cont- it would, it would drop dramatically at 18 games. You'd see a lot more Case Keenum and a lot less uh, guys like Peyton Manning. Um, I don't agree with that. Why? Why do you say that? Because I just don't think. I mean, I think teams won't won't play their starting quarterbacks for eighteen games, even if they're healthy. Why? Because they'll protect them. Because of two additional games. Yes. I completely disagree with that. I don't. I don't even know why. I mean, how do you? So you right, can, you right can, now you you're don't playing have, now you're playing 16 games and the teams that go to the playoffs and advance in the playoffs are playing at least 18. Right. You think they're concerned about their quarterbacks over those 18 games? Yes. Really? Yeah. I think they thought about, hey, we're a playoff team um, in October. We're going to be a playoff team. Let's rest him right now so he's strong at the end of the year. No, I don't think they did that. Okay. But once they expand to 18 games, yes, they would. All right. I don't think they will. I think that's why you increase roster spots, certainly to handle greater attrition, potentially, and you'll you, have, add, you'll and have you two, add a second bye week. You'll have two games in January that most of the time will be meaningless, that uh, in many cities will be unwatchable, that no one will pay attention to. Sort of like preseason football, Just, except it'll be at the end of the season. And I, 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 I don't have all of my... Um, information on this topic which i developed several years ago about the 18 game schedule which i'm sure would have been really thrilling for you to sit through but the the bottom line is there's as much of a possibility of an 18 game schedule creating more meaningful games at the end of the season than you have now as it would be less meaningful games than you have right now so you're not really you know, minimizing right now, in many cases, the final two games of the regular season are meaningless for multiple teams already. If you had an additional two games on top of that, you actually may be playing for more stakes. I think what should also go with the 18 game schedule 
is a true seeding process for the NFL playoffs, meaning it's not three division, it's not four division winners and two wild cards. It may be a division winner. Um, it, it, it's still the four division winners plus two wild cards, or if you want to add a seventh playoff team for fourteen total. But the seeding has to be based on record. It's true seeding based on record. So you are playing for something in those final few weeks. Like if you are a Right now, if you're a 9-6 and six team in the NFC South and you've clinched the division going into Week 16 and you are already locked in as the four seed, as the fourth best division, if you were playing to potentially avoid the six seed or the five seed position, you're going to play that game because it might give you a chance at a home game. You might get a chance at a, at a three seed. I, I think true seeding, seeding based on record would have to be a part of this. Are we done, Jeopardy, Johnny? <laughs> yes, we are. Huh? We're done. Okay. We're done with that. What else did you have? I got nothing else. What about the Nats? Just tell, give me something on them and, and the role that they're on here all of a sudden. Well, and Scherzer the other day. Yeah, well, Scherzer, again, uh, you know, they, I, I don't think that they can pull back to compete for the division title, but I could be proven wrong. I think they're only six and a half out. Six and a half for the Phillies lost last night yeah. to the Padres are six and a half out. I mean, so six maybe, and a half. I know. Which with is, 102 left. Yeah, which is pretty remarkable. This division has been like everything I've been wrong about this baseball season. I thought the division would be so good. Uh, and it's just it's it's competitive because it seems so bad now. Right. Now nobody nobody can win. So the Nats may benefit from that. Listen, the New York Mets uh may won the wild card. No, there was no wild card. Won the National League East Division title in 73, I think with 82 wins. I think that's the lowest any team's ever won a, a division title. This, this, We may see something like that. And um, if, if that's the case, then the Nats are in play. But Mike Rizzo is signing every relief pitcher who walks down the street. Any relief pitcher w- with within a phone call He's getting a call from the Nationals if he's on the street. They're bringing. They brought in, you know, uh, like who was the guy they brought in? Rodney uh, Fernando Rodney. Yeah. They brought. He's forty-two years old. What did you think of Scherzer just waving off Martinez the other day? He's a badass. Yeah, he is. He, he's he fun really to watch. Is. He he's he's the best thing to watch about. The, of course, uh, if if the Nationals by the trading deadline aren't close, then of course you should trade him for some prospects. <laughs> sarcasm from yeah. Tommy because that's what everybody said yeah. if you're not going to make yeah. look trade him for prospects at this point we are what uh, is July 31st the trade deadline or end of July yeah. so we've got basically two months of baseball if they're sitting six and a half out at the end of July and it could potentially be a lot better than that um, you're still in it you're so, still in it and Scherzer that, that, by the way is the guy that will keep you in it yes. and give you a chance then you've got to pressure the learners to be buyers right the mistake they made last, last year, year was not buyers when they decided not to be sellers I've right. heard you say that before right well you know what I don't forget any of your uh, anything, anything that you say I is say smart value. I always remember well that, that I don't know if you have enough space in your brain for all I that do, stuff I do I do I, I've got plenty of space in my brain look at the big brain on Kevin <laughs> on, on, on big Brad Kevin <laughs> Um, I did watch the hockey game last night. That's good. It's very exciting. Yeah. I'm rooting for St. Louis. I'm rooting for St. Louis too. All right. So I think St. Louis is 
one of my favorite towns. I love St. Louis. I like St. Louis too. They got great restaurants. They got great, great barbecue. Mu- great music. Great music. Yeah, I love St. Louis. I uh, I remember many years ago having to go there to meet with Schnooks. Schnooks Supermarkets. Look them up. They're really good. Good company. You ever take a tour of Budweiser Brewery? Uh, I did. One of the first times in St. Louis I did that. Yeah, it was I, pretty cool. Yeah, we did that. And it was pretty cool. And what I remember about it that was impressive was you hear you know you hear commercials where like companies use these terms like Budweiser would use beechwood aging yeah. and it was meaningless to me well they really have beechwood in I these tanks I know they do well, I know they and do. they age it yeah. with the beechwood I was like blown away by that I went through the um the Heineken Amstel uh brewery when we were in Amsterdam a couple of summers ago that was actually pretty cool as well all of those brewery tours are always I, great they are but you know what have you been to the Guinness brewery up in the I know. Up uh-uh. in Halethorpe yet? No. Up in Maryland? No. I haven't been there either. Did Do you enjoy a brewery trip um, and tour or what you just got done with in Italy, wine tasting afternoons? Well, look, it, I mean... Wineries are fun too. Wineries are fun. That's my first time ever doing that. And I, I, I was pleased that you enjoyed it. Well, how could I not enjoy it? I was in the middle of a picture postcard <laughs> right. in Umbria, Italy. Yeah. It was hard not to enjoy. And we just sat at a table and people kept bringing us food to food eat. Food and drink. And, yeah. and drink to eat all afternoon. This is like in the middle of the afternoon. Right. So that would be hard. But did you tour the vineyards before? Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. It would be hard not to enjoy that. Yeah, that I was agree. a lot of fun. That is fun. But I, again, I mean, my wife's been to Napa with my son a couple of times. Uh, I guess I would like Napa. I imagine. Yeah, I like no, it. it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean that whole thing. I haven't done that in years, but that that's that's beautiful. All right, um, I think we're done. I do have a quick word about stamps.com. Uh, stamps.com for small businesses is a must. Uh, you need it. It's a popular time-saving tool for small businesses. It eliminates your trips to the post office, saves you money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all of the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com handles it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S postage 24 hours a day seven days a week for any letter any package any class of mail anywhere you want to send it once your mail is ready just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it off in a mailbox it's that simple but there's more with stamps.com you get an immediate five cents off every first class stamp but even more importantly, you get 40% off priority mail. You're not going to get those savings with the convenience anywhere else. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. Saves you time, saves you money. It's no wonder that 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage, and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Kevin DC. That's Stamps.com, Kevin DC. All right, have a great day. Thanks to Tommy. Thanks to Aaron. Brad Johnson will be a guest on the show tomorrow. Have a great day.